Friday. Welcome home. Where oh, thanks. Way? I just got home. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. Friday, November 4th, 2022. Um, I know I got, I was on the road this week. I'll share some of that in a second, but so many people mm-hmm. listen to this, not live, which I always think everyone listens to it live. So many people listen to this, not live. It's crazy to me. Um, I, know. So I shouldn't even give the date, but yes, today is Friday for those of you listening. Um, and, uh, lots, lots, Serena, I'm so excited for our guest today. She said, hi, now I'm like, now I'm nervous. Um, but anyway, um, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a, uh, we'll get I'm gonna to call that. her doctor. Doctor. Yes. We'll get to the, we'll get to the doctor in a second. Um, but, uh, thank you guys, everyone for being here. Uh, 2,700 plus awesome to see. Believe it. Yeah. And, um, like I said, it's Friday. How many times have I said that? November, it's daylight savings time for those people that have to set oh, their clocks back. Great. Are we still doing that? This weekend, yes. I, every year they talk about we're not going to do it, but we're going to do it. So uh, it's going to be dark at 4 o'clock. It's going to be great sitting in the office with you. It, it's going to be dark. I mean, it makes you want to have a cocktail earlier, I think. Like, kind <laughs> of. But that's about the only thing that's, that's, that, that's good about it. Um, I have been on the road this week and you've been on the road this week. Um, I what did you talk about? Whoa, I'm off track. Guys, <laughs> welcome to the digital meetup, episode number 131. Uh, we do this every single Friday. Um, and so, so thankful that you guys are such an amazing community. And uh, I fall more in love with this, what we do every single Friday. Um, especially when I talk to the people on the road who are like, wow, mm-hmm. I listen every Saturday on the Peloton. I'm like, why don't I record this on the Peloton so then I'd get my Peloton ride in? You know what I mean? I was like, I'm kind of jealous. That's where you listen to it. But um, anyway, um, and we always start with what I say is the most important question um, that anyone can ask anyone in the world. And that's simply, how are you? Um, I say this every single time. So apologies, but there's three answers. Green, yellow, red, green. You're great. Yellow, Eh, so-so, red, not so good. Two things about it. A, it's really important to express how you are because it helps you internally. And B, it's one of our goals is to move you up one color on that notch. And then C, hopefully if you are yellow or red or even green, you put your LinkedIn address here and you find someone to talk to. Because as we talk about all the time, talking with someone about your feelings and where your head is and your emotions are so, so important. So please take the time to do that. And I I thank you for being brave and expressing where you are on here, even if you are not green. Um, I happen to be green today uh, because it's Friday. No. And um, big high school football game tonight. Friday, championship? Uh, uh, it's the section championship tonight. Um, I hear it was 76 yesterday and it's 40 today. So in typical Minnesota fashion, I'll freeze my rear off, but, um, but we'll be fun. Um, thank you guys for expressing and thank you. Ah, Serena's neon green. I love that. I always, you know, when, when people don't actually follow the rules, Look, I wonder what that means. It might mean something. If I just say green and someone says neon green, 
like, oh, they're special. Um, I'm just kidding, Serena. But I, everyone always comes up with some weird dynamic of, uh, I'm kind of in the middle. But Holly, I'm glad you're getting greener. So we always start with the how are you? And then the second thing, we talk a little about some of the stuff going on in the world. Um, so Jess, yes. you were in, oh, Canada, right? <laughs> how was that? You didn't, how was that? That's good singing, right? You didn't get well, stuck there, did you? You're more clearly you're back, so you didn't get stuck I, there. I made it back. I, I mean, I was in the great white north, but I don't think Montreal really considers themselves part of the great white north. I felt like I was back in Paris like two weeks ago. <laughs> French everywhere. Friends? No, I, you know, how I stumbled How was Montreal and what were you doing there? Uh, I was spending um, a couple of days with a customer, a vendor customer of ours, a brilliant learning solutions provider called Exonify. Um, and I won't even say learning. I should say learning so you can kind of pinpoint them on, on the spectrum of talent solutions, but they're really making progress in the workforce experience space. Uh, and they brought an incredible group of people together. And I got to share uh, some of what we talk about here every single Friday. And we also guided them through some vision mapping and, and uh, vision design work. Um, it was incredible. Yes, LNB does use Exonify. This morning, I came from London Byerly's and had incredible conversation around workforce planning and why we still can't get that right. <laughs> uh, it was absolutely fantastic this morning. But yeah, it was beautiful. I loved being in that room of, of innovative thinkers hoping to do better by people. I'm gonna put, let's put a pin in that, hoping to do better by people, because we're gonna talk about that today. I did not eat Someone poutine. Someone if you ate poutine. I did not. It was on the buffet. <laughs> Yeah, I don't like we have so much to do today. I don't want to talk about like I would love to do a poll and just know if everyone even knows what poutine is, but I'm not going to do the poll. Um, <laughs> I didn't know what poutine was until a while ago when a brilliant colleague of ours, Jessica Chung, actually took me for poutine, but different story. Um, well, that's awesome. Um, sounds like a great, uh, great week. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Uh, and and I was in, uh, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. At home for a couple of days and back on the road again. So yes, poutine is bomb. So it's been a busy, busy uh, travel schedule for both of us. You were. <laughs> oh, hold on. Now they want to. Oh no. <laughs> Do you know what poutine is without using a um, without using a device without using your performance enhancing okay. device? Yes or no? I'm not asking whether you like it. Go into polls and just answer the poll, please. Uh, do you know what poutine is? Yes or no? Uh, why did I do that? Everyone's just going to make me feel... Oh, see, there's one person that said no. Everyone said, Someone just wanted me to do that poll, so I felt stupid. <laughs> Three people said no. Uh, Jess, while I'm talking about my little week, you can put a link to maybe the Wikipedia page or something for poutine. <laughs> for poutine. In there. Um, so I was in Charlotte in North Carolina with one of our partners, ServiceNow, really talking about the whole world of workforce and people experience. Uh, had some amazing, amazing meetings with clients, with prospects, and uh, there were about 30 companies from each in each city really talking about what is employee experience and helping people understand that it's more than a user interface. And I know our good doctor we're with today is going to talk about this, which I can't wait. 
Uh, but how do we measure how people are feeling? How are we understanding how the workforce is doing? How are we using data to not just personalize, but to help make decisions? So much great. Oh, I had so many great conversations. I just loved it. Um, and then uh, this morning, I was sitting in the LaGuardia airport uh, at 4.30 in the morning, 5 in the morning. And 5 in the morning, I know because there was like a line Your of favorite hour. people. <laughs> it is my favorite hour. Yes, you're right. And I recorded this video that's on Twitter that turned viral that I just got the link that it's the number one Twitter video of the day. Um, which, or excuse me, number one LinkedIn video of the day, yeah. which was all about how I felt about the Twitter layoffs and how they were being handled, which Jess, I know segues us into what we want to talk about before we bring Serena on. Um, mm -hmm. But I was like, guys, holy cow, like forget Elon Musk for a second. Forget Twitter for a second. Like I'm very empathetic to people losing their jobs. I'll understand all of that, et cetera, et cetera. I'm also a CEO of a company. So I understand business, which means there are times you wanna make business changes. And there's times where organizations are not aligned to meet the goals of what a new business owner or leader does. All of that is fair game, okay? But what you do to get to what you're trying to achieve is not fair game when you F with people, <laughs> okay? And there are ways to lay people off and there's ways to make changes and there's ways to be human. And my video this morning, that's all I said. I mean, basically I just said it. You know, like we're humans outside of work. As workers, we're humans. We have to treat people like humans throughout. The way, and I feel, the way that Twitter's doing their stuff today is not human. And we watch it over and over and over and over again. And it shouldn't just be a Band-Aid that all of a sudden you rip off today and it hurts for like two seconds. And all of a sudden, like, oh, forget it. Like, all of these people, thank you, Susan, for saying I say that perfectly. I'm just, this is my, um, sorry. Um, for me... For me, and I think for all of us, um, like we're customer. I'm a customer of Twitter. Now, maybe I don't pay, but I'm a customer. You will. <laughs> yeah, I will, maybe. But guess what? I don't like the way they're treating people, so I don't want to be a customer right now. Right. And that's really, really important, you guys. Not just to the people that are affected, but to we, all of us should think about the companies we do business with and say, are they treating their people like humans? And if they're not, let's do something so that they learn to treat their people like humans. Jess, I know you shared another example, an anti-example mm. of, you know, in our internal channels this week. And I don't know if you want to talk about that real quick. Yeah, I absolutely will. First, I saw my dear friend, Jackie Clayton post this this morning. Thank you for the summary, Jackie, because I knew it was a whole bunch. I just didn't have it handy. This is all this week. This is all this week. Lyft, 13% workers shed, riff, layoff, whatever you want to call it. Open door, 18%. Stripe, I'm going to come back to Stripe. Thank you, Sarah. 
I'm going to come back to Stripe in a second, 14%. Chime, 12% of the workforce. Twitter, 50% and counting. Morgan Stanley, others. These are all this week. This is this week alone. And Jason, fair enough. There are business reasons. There are strategic maneuverings that sometimes require us to shed or redeploy or optimize talent or, or, or. What drives me completely crazy. I'm going to put this. Yeah. And just just really quickly, I want to, I I just want to say this to what you just said. We are not being soft ass HR people who are just like, Oh, you're not treating my people. Sorry. I'm a little worked up about this. We're not, you're not treating these people nicely. Like they're, and guess what? We should keep them because they're working for Twitter and, you know, and we realize that we need to keep these 3,000 people for the holidays. I totally get the business reason. I totally get alignment. I totally get if a company was being run fat. I totally get CFOs and business owners and business leaders wanting to optimize their business. But do it with humanity. That's the point. It's not that it's the, we're not, I'm not, we're not bitching about HR shit stuff here. We're talking about a business needs to make changes. These companies need to make changes because the economy is in a unpredictable state. We're talking about how we make the change with humanity. Sorry, Jess. Well, and even, I mean, I don't get too fired up over, I mean, we could go all day long about Elon Musk and leadership styles and whatever. And I'm not going to get all fired up about that. But the quote that I saw that made my blood boil this morning was something to the along the lines of small talk. I can't believe small talk is even legal. It's not small talk to communicate with transparency and respect to your workforce and to give them the courtesy of a heads up and the dignity of a thank you for your service and an elegant exit. That's not small talk, Elon Musk. (laughs) That's leadership. It's leadership and you're doing it wrong. And so the example that I shared, this letter, this public transparent communication that was shared by the Stripe CEO could not be a starker contrast. Forget how generous it is. Like that, that severance and the way they're going about their riff is ridiculously generous. They're taking care of people until February, regardless of how long you've been employed, six months of full, fully paid benefits. Like not everybody can do that. They're doing it. That's absolutely amazing. I'm not even talking about how generous it is. I'm talking about the respect and dignity of communication and transparency and the fact that there's personal responsibility about the stuff that could have been called differently, the business decisions that could have gone another way that might have prevented some of this. They're saying, there's a couple of things here that we're going to take our lumps on. The rest, yes, the economy, yes, global politics, yes, you know, but they're taking their lumps where there are lumps to be taken. We don't see that. We don't see that kind of brave, authentic leadership and people deserve it. Um, And so apparently we're still learning all of this. And I would encourage everybody to read a leadership communication like that. Whatever you're doing with your workforce, it could be it could be benefits enrollment. You guys think about how you can communicate with more transparency and dignity with your workforce. That's the bar right there. Yeah. 
Jess, I just want to get to a couple, just really quickly. So Barb, don't forget about providing outplacement career transition support. Uh, Bob breaking California and federal laws. Yeah. All cool, all really important also. But I just want to get, like, th there's layoffs happening at companies all over the world today. There have been for the, well, there's always been. This one just happens to get the media attention. Yeah. So I mean, on and we remember the better stuff as right. well. What I'd like you guys to understand is that not every company can provide outplacement and career transition support. And we have to understand that. Like if a company is about to go bankrupt and they're trying to save eight of their people and they've got four they're laying off, they may not be able to provide that, which guess mm -hmm. what? Like, understand that these laws and laws totally agree. We have to try to stick to laws. I guess all I'm trying, all we want to say here is do whatever you need to do and be open, be honest, be communicative and do it with humanity. Yes. Okay? And be real. Like I, if I can't afford outplacement career, say I can't afford it. Right. But, but at least you may, you are being real about it. And I guess that's, that's the point. So, yeah. um, I always think these these things, when the media blows them up, are great opportunities for us all to just pause. You guys know we talk I, we talk about signals a lot. There's a signal for all of us that's like just pause and think about in your organization. You know, are you doing these things? And for, whether it's layoffs or taking away a benefit, it could be the same thing. Mm -hmm. This is all part of employee experience, the experience an employee has working in your organization. <laughs> so I would we're never bringing on our rock star. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Oh my nice, goodness. Nina. How are you? Doing well. How about you? Good. It's so good to see you. Likewise. It's been a while. You see, I can say rock star about you, right? Sure. Well, I don't if know you, the song, but <laughs> <laughs> do you have walk on music, Serena? What would you have picked? Oh my gosh, I need to work on that. I was not prepared <laughs> for this. I know. Sorry, that, we're, we're a little crazy. We're a little crazy. I, yeah, I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> I love it. That's why I went with neon green. Uh, yeah, you know, that's good. the vibe that I'm getting from yeah. you. So it's yeah. green. And also glowing in the dark, hence the neon. I love it. Do you see how how like look at this people data, Serena? That that green, yellow, red. What great yes. people data we collected, right? I know, I know. You gotta send me. You gotta send me the output now, so <laughs> yeah. I can analyze it. So, Serena, yeah. will you start by talking about yourself? I know I hate. I don't like talking about myself, but you know, just for people that aren't familiar with you. And by the way. Follow Serena on LinkedIn. She does such an amazing job of uh, of driving value in our community. Um, but uh, Serena, talk about yourself and how you got into this world that you're in with us. Sure, sure. Uh, thank you so much, first of all, for having me. It's so great to see you again and just nice meeting you. Um, I'm Dr. Serena Huang, everyone, and I am a thought leader and practitioner in people analytics, HR technology, and ethical AI. Um, I'm currently the head of people analytics, visualization, HR tech at PayPal, 
in addition to my the world's longest job title, probably, uh, I am also a LinkedIn learning instructor of a brand new course called the Data Science of Using People Analytics. So for anyone who is interested, it's actually free till end of this month. So do check it out in this limited window. Uh, and I am also a LinkedIn creator. So I'm in the Creator Accelerator program. It's a very special class focusing on technology and innovation. So every day I'm sharing something new. Please definitely check it out this morning i was talking about exactly just what you were talking about earlier uh, about the layoffs that's happening and trying to bring some positivity into the weekend and giving people tips on how to recession proof your career now we cannot really avoid layoffs um, sometime in our life we might encounter it it's out of our control but there's a lot you can do to recession-proof your career. So definitely encourage everyone to check it out and follow me uh, and give me any insights you want to hear. Uh, I'm actually looking for partners on my creator journey. So anyone who is interested in the topic, uh, let me know. It's about employee health. Uh, speaking of employee experience, how do we unlock the value of employee health and well-being in the workplace by using data analytics? And also, if you don't have data, what do you do? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, notice everyone, the green bar underneath Jess. Well, I'm not sure if everyone is underneath Jess, but for me it is, uh, where it says view Serena's LinkedIn learning course. That'll take you right to the course. Thank you. So um, everyone check that out. And like she said, it's available for free. So uh, that's awesome. Thank you for making it. doesn't get better than free, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for making it available. So Serena, when you, like, how did you get into this? Because the people like, in the first of all, I'm intimidated that you're a doctor, um, <laughs> but you know the fact that you're a doctor. Yeah. Uh, how did you get into this world of people analytics? Yeah. So I am a PhD economist by training, and my specialization is in labor economics, which is the economics related to workforce. And so I, as I was coming out of graduate school, it was right after the last recession. Does anyone remember that? Uh, Lehman Brothers. And, and so I was uh, keeping my options open. Like most PhDs, I was going to go into the academia. Uh, however, there were lots of budget cuts across the country making those positions unavailable. Uh, to my surprise, I love the interview process that I have with consulting companies. So that's where I ended up uh, doing consulting for a few years and uh, absolutely loved it. It was sort of, uh, you know, you can apply data analytics and have a positive impact right away on your clients, as opposed to the academia roles where I might be teaching and then maybe I'll do a research and then it take forever to get published and then only my family and friends will read it. So uh, consulting felt like a impactful role for me to to take. And I always thought, you know, I could always go back to teaching and uh, if I want it later, as you can see from my LinkedIn profile, I have not, uh, but instead I now guest lecture and top MBA programs uh, across the country when I can as a way to give back to the community. So after that consulting stint, I got a call from GE, General Electric, uh, saying they were standing up HR analytics. And this was many years ago before people analytics is kind of mainstream like it is now. And I thought, you know, mind you, I was a consultant, never been in HR, and I got this call about HR analytics. And I thought, first of all, these are not two words that usually go together. Right. Uh, and two, I didn't know anything about HR. What was I going to do in the department? 
And GE had told me, we're looking for someone who knows data analytics and has passion for people and will teach you the rest of the HR stuff. And I thought, wow, okay, let's give this a try. So I take a very experimental approach to my life and my, my career as, uh, as you can kind of see. And I like to try new things and see what works and what doesn't work. Um, since then, I've been building people analytics functions from the ground up at companies like GE Aviation, GE Transportation, Coke Industries, Kraft Heinz, and now at PayPal. Um, I've had the joy of watching people analytics as a function grow. Initially, when I started, it was really boring Excel spreadsheets, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's, you know, mostly reporting when I make some charts, we got into Tableau and thought we were all fancy. Uh, now I have data science team working on machine learning models, predicting who is going to leave and when. Uh, just look at that growth over uh, six, seven years. It's incredible. Um, so that analytics maturity is what kept me in people analytics for such a long time um, because I love continuing to help it grow and be part of the growth. I mentioned before you came on, uh, I was at an event this morning. We had a brilliant speaker talk about workforce planning mm -hmm. uh, and the <clears throat> kind of the big takeaway is that you cannot do workforce planning without data science. And unfortunately, yeah. data science doesn't sit in the people function. Right. Which, like you said, the two don't go hand yes. in hand. And so we've had this unfortunate scenario that we've created our, for ourselves where we talk about workforce planning a lot. <laughs> And we attempt to do some of it, but until we solve that problem of not having true data chops in the HR function and then pulling data, there's a lot of collaboration required, operational data, financial data, your people data, and then knowing what to do with it, knowing not just how to create the dashboards and spit out the reports, but what does this actually mean and what, de what decisions can we make better because of it? We're still a little bit behind the eight ball, would you say? Unless you've yes. there building the function, yeah. uh, a lot of organizations are still struggling with this. Indeed, indeed. Um, I often hear people say that we are living in a data-rich but inside-poor world. Yes. And I would like to push us further to not just have the insights, but actually take action on the insights. Who cares about the insightful PowerPoints that you have seen? If you're not going to do anything differently, if you're not going to make a different decision because of the data and the insights, there's no value to that. Mm -hmm. So hence my newsletter is from data to action and not just from data to insights, because insights in my mind is the middle step. Now, yes, the HR function has long struggled with interpreting the data to even get to insights. And that's where a lot of times people analytics team comes in. But what I also see is that it's great to have those dashboards that might give you some insights on where problem areas are, where attrition is spiking. Maybe you're taking too long to hire in certain jobs that's really difficult to fill. Maybe you're having issues with diversity and inclusion in parts of your world. Um, but it's what do I do with that information? So a good people analytics team will actually make the recommendations based on those insights and say, this is what you need to do to retain better, to attract better, to develop better, and use data to do that. Yeah. So, so Serena, we have, there's already some questions coming in. Um, yeah. We have a lot. One of the things that you talk a lot about is health also, and not just, not just, you know, cost per hire, time to fill, blah. <laughs> 
blah, 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 blah. But really using metrics and using data to understand health. And, you know, you and I talked about, hey, how do we do this without data? Also, uh, Leo said, hello, Serena. Many of my friends are dealing with sanctuary trauma and anger with their employer. Uh, what methods do you suggest? How can I help them? Um, oh, you know, which I think is a, a fascinating discussion just around health and well-being. Yeah. Um, and I'd love, I know you talk all about it. I mean, you have some deep feelings on that topic. Yes, definitely. No, I think what, what's, um, what you're feeling is real and it's happening in many organizations. We are two and a half years uh, post pandemic. Some people may say we're not really post and we're still coming out of it. Um, the truth is a lot of people are still not okay. And we have sort of moved on as a world. Um, and people still get sick and die from COVID every single day. That has not ended. Um, yet we have moved on. It's almost like, oh, that's so 2020. It's not. And I think one of the ways that um, I would encourage a lot of people to try is a practice called mindfulness. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard mindfulness as a practice. It's almost become a buzzword in, in many ways. I have personally found it to be really helpful. I bring it to my workplace, actually. Um, fun fact, I have been meditating since I was seven years old. Wow. And that's very unusual, I realize. Uh, if anyone who has been also meditating since they were a child, let me know. Love to connect. <laughs> um, and, and it's something that I got back into in the pandemic because as I was digesting, like many people, all the news every single day, um, all the death um, that's happening in the world and the safety issues, the lockdown, the isolation, um, I couldn't hear a lot of my thoughts as clearly as before. So I started practicing daily meditation again. Um, and I've continued to today where even when I sense there's stress on my team, I would lead a mini meditation session with them, just 60 seconds, 90 seconds at most. Um, and everyone feels pretty much instantly better, uh, a little bit more calm, a little bit more centered. Um, so I think for that anger and um, other emotions that you might feel, mindfulness practice, I have found really helpful. Um, I know it can seem daunting to get started. There are lots of apps out there where you can just follow along or even YouTube videos, guided meditation. Um, and, you know, hey, hey, who knows? Maybe some point I will start one. Um, and, and I think it's just um, a quick, easy way to get yourself more centered and focus on the present. Because um, a lot of the anger that people might have or anxiety, so a lot of times anger is when you are stuck thinking about the past. When you have anxiety, you're thinking about the future. You have some fear about the future and what's happening, right? Well, mindfulness essentially is staying present. When you are present, you are not thinking stuck about the past. You are not stuck thinking about the future. You are here. You are here now. So uh, I think that's uh, appropriate given we're talking about the now of work, right? Um, mm -hmm. How do we be present at work? How do we be present in our personal lives? Um, I, I hope someone you know on this call who hears it can 
give it a try and just let me know how, how it goes. Cause I have personally benefit from it. I know my team has as well. Yeah. There's someone that said they want to join your team. Yeah. And they yeah. provide an app for meditation. Um, okay. I was going to ask you, I, I was like, I need to learn this meditation. Like uh, I totally need to learn how to do it. I thought yeah. you were using it. It's super easy. I've tried. Like it's so hard for me to shut off my brain, Serena. Yeah. yeah. I'm telling you, hot yoga. We're going later. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I am. I, I invited as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so Serena, yeah. like all of this work you're doing from a um, understanding people. Like, what are some examples of how you use that at PayPal? You know, without going too deep into PayPal, but like, take some of this amazing work you're doing and apl we apply it to business. Yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, I think there's a lot that we can continue to talk about with mindfulness. Um, and I would say a lot of part of my job, surprisingly, is actually separating noise from what's real and what's mm -hmm. fact using data. And I, I find a connection with mindfulness, uh, perhaps because I've been meditating since I was seven years old. In my mind, if you are present and you are mindful, you're more likely to be open to what the data is going to tell you. If you are not as mindful, a lot of times um, I will get into a conversation and I can see, you know, maybe a, 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 an internal client is distracted by whatever is going on. And they tend to be less open-minded about what I'm about to share with data. And, and I make that connection because I think we get so busy with everything that's going on in the world, right? Uh, you know, people are pinging you on multiple channels at all times. Your brain doesn't shut off. And when the data tells you something that you didn't necessarily want to hear, especially, mm -hmm. it becomes very difficult to accept. Now, when you don't accept even what the data is telling you because you didn't want to hear it, you're not going to take action on the data. You're not going to listen to my recommendations because you already thought my data was wrong. I would bet a lot of money that everyone in people analytics has heard that phrase at some point in their career. Your data is wrong. <laughs> not that I had a wrong perception about my employee, my workforce, how people are feeling, how people are doing. No, your data is wrong. Mm -hmm. So how do we overcome that your data is wrong? Now, don't get me wrong, Jason and Jess, I'm sure you've seen this a ton. Data quality in HR is very problematic. It's very yeah. messy. In organizations where I didn't have a strong data governance, it was very difficult. My data was definitely sometimes wrong. Uh, no doubt about that because I didn't have uh, dedicated people to keep it clean. Mm -hmm. And my definition wasn't consistent. So it's not wrong. It's just inconsistently defined across organization. Think about a simple metric like time to hire. Well, when do you start? Is it when the rec is open? Mm -hmm. And then when do you close? Is it when the rec is filled? Is it when the person joins the organization? Or is it when they go through background checks sometime in the middle? Or is it when they accept? Is it verbally accept or is it written accept? I don't know who, who is the governing body on what time to hire should be. 
every organization has those conversations. And what I found was that unless you get to a common definition where the leadership team really aligns along with the people analytics team, this is how we are going to define time to hire. You don't even have a single metric to tell you how you're doing in your recruiting process. Someone might be counting the days of verbal steps. I know, great, three weeks, super fast. But then background checks got stuck. They came on board three months later. Is that still super fast? Not so much. Um, but you could be hiding that because you're using the verbal accept as the endpoint to your recruiting process. So again, I just use that as a simple example. Hopefully everyone can relate to as in the importance of common definition. Before you get started with data analytics, if you don't even have common language, it's going to be really hard to know where you are and more importantly, whether or not you're making progress. I think, and and kind of answering to a couple of the comments here, it's not only getting, you know, building trust and confidence in the data and beginning to use it accurately and consistently, but then creating good consumers of the data. Mm. How you can give me a report, and unless I know number one to trust it, number two how to read it and what to do with it, what that means to my business, to the team that I run it's sort of for nothing. It, it's sort of wasted if you don't create good consumers of the data or rather of the insights the data produces. Yes, indeed. Um, I'll say something maybe controversial. I think I that is, <laughs> um, I think a lot of times I hear people analytics teams blame the consumer for not being a good consumer of data, uh, where maybe the HR function need to upskill on data literacy and become better consumers of people analytics. Fair point, I agree. However, I think it's mostly up to the people analytics team, especially the leaders, to go and solve problems that actually will matter to the customers. How mm -hmm. many times have you sat through a presentation where the analyst goes, uh, I did this analysis I gathered this data, it took me a gazillion hours, I cleaned it using whatever software that you don't care about. And then <laughs> I found these three really interesting to me things. Mm -hmm. The end. Have you been through those presentations? Yeah, yes. I have as well. Um, and why does that happen? Because the analyst or the presenter did not have the customer in mind maybe they're not solving a problem that even needed solving. So I would really recommend before even getting started with data to definitely start focusing on the right problems first. Make mm -hmm. sure you are solving a problem that needs to be solved. If your time to hire is terrible, but you're only making you know very minimal hires you're actually downsizing for the most part. You don't need to make that many hires this year. Maybe that's not a great problem for you to solve, to try to improve. Yeah. Retention seems like a big problem, but where is it in your organization do you have that problem? Is it retention in most critical roles that are going to impact your top line or bottom line? Or is it across the board? I definitely encourage people to use data to isolate when they get to that. But oftentimes we jump started because we're so excited to be working with data, we forget to ask the important question upfront. 
on is this the most important problem I can be solving right now, or is there something else more burning? Mm-hmm. And that changes. I think in the now of work, that problem could change not from year to year. And we have, you know, what, yearly annual roadmaps a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Guess what? You probably want to revisit that quarterly at minimum, if not monthly, to make sure you are dedicating your scarce resources like people analytics or other domains to the most important problems. And if that changes, stop the previous projects and pivot and quickly get your resources to work on new ones. You know, Serena, one of the things I think that's really interesting is that, you know, people always start with, what do I measure? What do I measure? What do I measure? What do I measure? And lately we have a lot of people asking, I want to measure employee experience. Like, (laughs) which is about as broad, I think, as you can get. But I wonder if there's anything that you can add to that. Like, you know, just in the work that you've done, like how would you possibly measure employee experience? And I'm sure there's different levels. Sure. First of all, Jason, what is your definition of employee experience? (laughs) Jess just wrote that in the chat. First of all, we need to get a common definition (laughs) of employee experience. Must be drinking Um, the same blend of tea or coffee. mm -hmm, You mm -hmm. guys are going to hot yoga together. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. But so, Serena, when I, I think of employee experience as the broad definition, which really goes back to almost engagement mm-hmm. and you know how engaged are people, how healthy are people in what how they feel about working mm-hmm. in your organization. Yeah. Uh, so that's how I think of it. There are people on this call that I know, but there's also others that measure employee experiences to the tools right. that they're mm-hmm. using and what's how let's measure the success of our employee experience. So yeah, I'd love for you to talk about both. Sorry, I'm being a little greedy. Uh, I'd love for you to talk about both, but I'd love for you to talk about the broad first. And definitely. Yeah. And Serena, to your point, I'll just, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Once a year engagement surveys, hopefully you think they're dead, like I think they're useless. Um, (laughs) We need more time (laughs) to talk about engagement surveys. (laughs) Oh gosh. No, I think absolutely. Wait, All right, Jess, what were you going to add? Oh, go, go ahead, Jess. You go first. Well, I was just going to plus one before you tackle this, Serena. It used to be, and it still is, space culture tools. All of those things. Where do I work? The physical environment used to be physical. Mm-hmm. Now it's the digital environment. Sure, culture, all the tools and systems and the things that you give me to perform at my job. Now we've added a fourth bucket, and you've already mentioned it, Serena. It's well-being. So you have to consider all of these things, which are all interrelated, all important. They all make up experience, but they all require different skills, different approaches, different deployment strategies, different considerations. And they all have different measures, I would imagine. So how do we get to sort of a common set of measures that says we're doing experience right or well when it's made up of some different ingredients in my mind? Yeah, definitely. Um, that's a really complex problem. And my encouragement to everyone is like, get over the desire to have one single metric or index. There's yeah. no magic bullet in that. Why is that? Well, because again, I'll tie back to your earlier point. It depends on what problem you're trying to solve. When we talk about employee experience or even employee engagement is your ultimate goal 
to make sure you have a productive workforce? Or is the ultimate goal to make sure that everyone would recommend your place as a great place to work so you have great Glassdoor reviews? Or is your goal to have the best salespeople in the world so you can expand your market share? Those are very different business goals that a company can have. I don't think it makes sense to create employee experience covering 25 dimensions without knowing what goal you're ultimately trying to improve. So I will start there first. It could be productivity, like I said. If productivity is your goal, for instance, then you might want to spend more time in your survey measuring those digital experiences because it's really important to you. For someone who might be more customer facing, maybe that is different. Maybe that's more about how they're able to connect across the organization. Can the sales team get information from marketing and engineering timely so they can serve the customers? That might be completely different. So it really depends on what you want to measure. So my encouragement to everyone is to think about that ultimate goal first. Make sure you have alignment before you start a survey that covers too many dimensions and that left you wondering after it was done what to do with it. That's too late. So make sure you have a goal upfront. And in my mind, employee experience needs to be across the whole life cycle. You start with, right, it's from hire to exit. So from the point of hiring to the moment of exit, those are different, you know, we call it moments that matter where you want to measure how they're doing, how employees are doing. So for new hire, for example, you might want to check in on day one. Again, just depends on what you want to improve. So we talk about onboarding experience for employees as you know something that we want to measure at the beginning of an employee's journey at any company. We're sure that makes sense. On day one, what's important to you as a company? Is it that they got a laptop and that's it? Or is it they met with their manager? Or is it they have a career discussion already? I cannot decide that for you. You need to decide that for your company and make sure there's alignment. Um, and then maybe three months later, check in to see how they're doing. And so in my experience, I found it to be really helpful to have multiple check-ins, even during the initial onboarding process, where on day one or day seven, you might be asking, have you met your manager? Gosh, if by day seven, they haven't met with a manager, something has gone wrong. Mm -hmm. By day seven, they haven't received their laptop, something has gone wrong, right? Those are basics. But by three months in, hopefully you've had a career development conversation of some sort or a goal setting conversation at that point. I don't want to be asking people whether or not they met their manager three months in or whether or not they received their laptop. Hopefully by three months, that problem is long resolved. And so you want to ask questions that make sense for the context as well. And then on the exit, of course, you want to ask people questions on why they're leaving, how long they have been looking. Again, different questions, thinking about what your goal is. What is your goal with an exit interview survey? A lot of people will tell me, why bother with exit interview surveys? People are never honest. I disagree. In mm -hmm. my experience, I have seen many honest answers 
that I wish the organization had the information on sooner and could have intervened. That would have been easily saved, easily re-engaged someone if we had known. Um, simple problems that was very frustrating that then snowballed. So I think exit interview survey, again, ask yourself, what is your ultimate goal with this? Is this to retain as many people as possible? Or is it to have better managers so they can retain their employees? Or is it to get HR function some useful insights on the process with exit itself? It can be a variety of things, but you have to decide upfront. And then in the middle, what I recommend is pick important moments, such as when someone changes jobs internally, such as when someone gets promoted for the first time to a more senior level, such as when someone first become a manager. Those are really critical points to start evaluating how you're doing on employee experience. Are you providing them the resources and support they need to be successful in this next mini phase of their work life? And if not, how can you intervene quickly? You know, going back to the most important thing about data is taking actions. So what will you do with those insights when you get the results back? My really only one rule about survey, I can mm -hmm. give you all the golden rules. The only one that I always hold everyone accountable for is if no decision will change or be made, based on the response to this question, it is immediately removed. Mm. I love that. That's a good rule. You know, a lot of what you you just said, it's so brilliant. It it reinforces the point that that talent strategies should be designed with intention. I mean, all, all of these, everything you're saying, it depends on this, it depends on that. What decision would you make, you know, for your organization or depending on how you're team runs. I I think the, the point to be made with all of that is that stop doing arbitrary things yes. that aren't driven by any sense of intention or any design, like what for? What, yes. what is the what purpose? For? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so if you onboard a certain way, I hope it's in support of a talent strategy that's very intentionally designed because this is the experience you hope to drive for the right. outcomes you need for your business. We do so much that's arbitrary. Um, and then we see, you know, sort of unfortunate moves by organizations when they, you know, have to flex and flow talent. It's because they probably didn't, in some cases, have uh, have their strategy clearly outlined from the beginning. So Serena, I have a question. Do you think we've made progress? Yes. Um, so I mean, when you I think do. about when you think about Excel and what you were yeah. talking about before, mm -hmm. versus where we are today, do you think we've made progress? A, you know, and then B, you know, if you're if you're talking to an organization that doesn't have any data, you know, and you and you're they're trying to figure out where do they start? Like, what would you advise? Yeah, you think no, there's absolutely. organizations that have no data. <laughs> You well, always sorry, have data. They, they, you just they, have to find me, they may have data, but they don't understand what it would, might mean to use sure. the data to create yeah. a measure. Yeah. Uh, definitely, I have seen a lot of progress in organizations putting data to good use when it comes to talent. You know, I, I still remember the day when the world shut down. I'm sure you all do as well. And I remember the debates about surveys so clearly. 
before that, it was so difficult to talk about how many surveys should we even do surveys because well, action planning takes so long, it's so complex. Can we shorten the surveys? All these debates. And after the pandemic, when we were all working from home, guess what? Surveys became the only way for the organization to know whether or not their employees are okay. Mm -hmm. Guess what? Because you can't text every single person. You can't call every single person. But I can send a survey to every single employee in the organization if I want to. And with proper communication and so on, you can actually get pretty good response rates. So that is one of the quickest, most efficient ways to give you a sentiment check of your employee work. Um, so, so I think there's just power with surveys that organization didn't know before, before COVID and now fully realize, but sometimes still don't know what to do with it, right? So yeah. to your second question around how to get started even, um, I recommend starting with your business strategy. <laughs> Definitely start with your business strategy, right? Are you growing? Are you expanding to a new market? Do you have new product lines that you are launching? Are you in an industry that is perhaps shrinking and you need to cut costs? What are your priorities for the next two, three years, five years, 10 years, however many years you plan your business. And then with that, create your talent strategy using data. So find the problems you're trying to solve. Again, it could be, I want to expand market share. It could be, I want to integrate a new company into my after acquisition. Every company will have different problems to solve. And, and then go from there, go from there first, Think about what problems are important to solve, then get the data to do it. Um, definitely with intention, just to your earlier point, we do so many random things. Mm -hmm. Data analytics professionals are very expensive. We are very scarce and make sure <laughs> when you are hiring data analytics people, give them those meaningful projects that will really improve the business and not random Excel spreadsheet work or visualization dashboards that no one looks at. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, so I think that definitely starts with strategy uh, is where you want to start. Um, as far as the survey and employee experience measurement, you can be very simple. You can start simple. I think you don't have to have a fully dedicated people analytics function to get started. I actually recommend managers to do check-ins with the employees on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, on my team, I have something funny that has now been called the Serena Index. So I asked my, I asked my team uh, on a scale of one to 10, how they're feeling every Monday when we do our weekly planning. Uh, and then I check in on the people who have, you know, really low scores and ask them how we can better support them. Um, and in those conversations, often we get real too. It could be something happening at home that is stressing us out. It has nothing to do with work. Nonetheless, we still need more support at work because of that. Mm -hmm. On Friday, I do another check-in. So uh, in, in a little bit, I'll be doing this you know, follow-up with the team and ask them, scale one to 10 again, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Um, and we ask people why their score has gone up, why their score has gone down. You know, lots of data nerds here. Uh, and then, yes, we have a dashboard that shows how we're trending, <laughs> kind of the norms by person. Yes, very geeky that way. Um, 
And, and is it, did I have to hire a consulting company to implement a survey software to do this? No. And you can get started too. As long as you are intentional, as long as you're curious, as long as you're going to do something with that data, just get started. I love that. The Serena index, Jess. <laughs> I know. That's what we're going to call this episode. The Serena index. <laughs> That's perfect. I like it. Perfect. I like it. Serena, we're out of time, but thank you so much for uh, being here. There's a lot of people asking for you to come back. So maybe you'll, maybe you'll come back sometime. Yeah. We'll see how the hot yoga goes. That's right. That's right. We'll answer that later. Serena, you're in Chicago, right? That's yes. where you are? Yes. Jess's yeah. favorite city. Yeah, really. Stop I don't by. live there, but it is my favorite city. Yeah. Let so me know. Serena, our, our walk-off music for... today. Okay. Okay. Let's see. Our walk-off music today <laughs> is by a band called Journey. Have you heard of Journey? Yes. <laughs> Thank God we can be. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, and the uh, the the song is "Be Good to Yourself." I think mm. it's a really Aww. good song to walk away with, I especially when we that. talk about meditation and yoga. So, <laughs> thank you for being here for everyone in the community. Thank you for being here. Yeah, love you all, and uh, hope you have a great thank weekend. Thank you. See you soon. Thank you.